Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. On today's California Report magazine, People living through wildfire and facing a terrifying new normal when the weather changes and the winds pick up. The wind blew really hard. I woke up. You can just see, like, orange. I ran back to get my dad. Like, I think something bad is about to happen. The reality is, is that this is not just a fire. This is, with these kinds of winds, this is really natural disaster. Is this the way it's going to be every year? Apocalypse. I just don't know how much more I can take. Yes, this year's fires across the state have been scary, and the blackouts disrupted millions of people's lives. But so far, the fires themselves have been remarkably less destructive when you compare them to last year's campfire, the deadliest in state history. That fire and the devastating Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa the year before led to some changes in the way officials and regular folks respond during emergencies. Over the summer, we had uh, 5,000 people come here and get go bags and other things. We've been doing evacuation exercises with high-low sirens out of uh, the sheriff's office. We'll hear about how one community has adapted to get emergency information out to some of the most vulnerable residents. Not having the language that you need is basically a life-or-death situation. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. First, as we mark the one-year anniversary of the campfire which destroyed the community of Paradise in Butte County, we'll hear about families trying to rebuild their lives, like Sabrina Haynes, who fled Paradise with her young daughter. I'm sitting here telling her, we're going to be fine, we're going to get out of this, and now I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know. I mean, it's so close. We first introduced you to Sabrina and her daughter Aurora in a documentary we aired the summer before the fire. KQED's Laura Clivens brought us her story as part of her reporting on adults who experienced trauma as kids. Sabrina told us she'd been neglected and abused. Her parents couldn't be there for her because of an ugly divorce, drugs, and time in jail. When she moved to Paradise, she built a support network to help her become the parent she wished she'd had. But the fire fractured that community. It was a life that we that I had been building for her for five years. And, you know, being a single mom, it was not easy. Laura went back to Butte County to see how Sabrina and Aurora are doing as they mark the one-year anniversary of the campfire. And just a note of caution, this story contains some themes that may be upsetting for some listeners. Looking back on her life is hard for Sabrina. She's 34 now, but up until her mid-20s, she moved around a lot. And she remembers the painful things that happened in all the places she lived, where she was raped, where she started cutting herself, and where she began using methamphetamines. But paradise was the place where she went to heal. She got sober there. She stayed sober. 
And then six years ago, she got pregnant. I personally was happy because I wanted to be a mom. But it was intimidating. Aurora's dad wasn't in the picture. Sabrina was on disability for a bad back. And she was trying to work through her own stuff so she could be a great mom to her daughter. I don't want her to have to go through those adverse experiences. I want her to have a fulfilled life and to be happy. Before the fire, Sabrina and her then four-year-old daughter Aurora had a good thing going in paradise. They lived in a mobile home they rented on a peaceful, woodsy street. Sabrina was on track to get her bachelor's from Chico State, hoping to work in early childhood development. She helped teach parenting classes. All right, so with the bear hunt theme and the animal theme, we're going to read We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Last year, I visited her as she read a book to a group of toddlers and moms in paradise. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Some afternoons, Sabrina and Aurora went to play therapy. Through an earbud, a counselor gave Sabrina step-by-step instructions on how to manage her child when she had meltdowns. I don't think you've done the two rules yet, right? No. Okay, so um, you're going to let Aurora remind her, say, remember, Aurora, there's two rules for special playtime. Remember, Aurora, there's two rules for special playtime. And the two spent a lot of time at the local dance studio. They'd hang out with friends and work out. Dancing strengthened Sabrina's aching back. Sabrina especially loved performing. She remembers her first solo dance last year to a song called Conqueror. And it's basically, um, it says, I don't want to live on my knees. I'd rather stand tall because I'm a conqueror. What is the address of the emergency? The first call about the campfire came in at 625 on the morning of November 8th. From at the campfire north of Sacramento, complete destruction. Most of the community of Paradise gone. Everywhere it's hard to process the wrath of this fire that is now the most destructive in California history. I called Sabrina just a few days after the campfire. She told me that the drive out of Paradise felt like an eternity. And I remember getting out of the car and taking the biggest breath I've ever taken in my life and then start crying. They drove to Chico, a city next door, to stay with friends. When Sabrina looked at her alarm system later, she figured their house burned an hour after they closed the door. The home that she grew up in is gone. You know, and Aurora keeps keeps asking me, Mommy, I just want to go home and play with my toys. I want to go home and play with my toys. I tell her she can't. We don't have a home anymore. Hello? Hey! Watch yourself. I went to see Sabrina and Aurora a month ago. They bounced around for a while before Sabrina bought a decent-sized trailer and parked it at a friend's house in Butte County. It will take two years to pay it off. So how, how are you doing? Um, it's not been a good year. Nearly all the things that kept them stable are gone. Some of the dance studios burned down. The parenting class Sabrina taught got canceled. And she stopped taking college classes so she could figure out their housing. 
Plus, she says she can't really concentrate anymore. I feel like in constant chaos, and that's hard mentally, especially when you have a child to care for. Um, and then she's dealing with her own stuff. Aurora's been acting out. She's five now. You know, me and her have so much trauma. And because of this trauma, you know, her behaviors, you know, aggressive, just the tantrums and meltdown. It's, we need to heal at first. And, you know, and we haven't really been able to do that. Sabrina's homeschooling Aurora in part because of these behavior issues. Will you give me a little tour of the trailer? I will. Okay, that'd Aurora be great. shows me around her room, which is two bunk beds in a nook next to the bathroom. She's decorated it with glow in the dark stickers. There are stars. There's a unicorn and stars. Then Sabrina and I sit outside around a neighbor's table. Aurora pops in and out, showing me her toys. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. She draws on some of them with a blue dry erase marker. And then suddenly she's drawing on the table. No, you better go find a wipe right now. What made you think that that was okay? No, uh-uh, Aurora Bell. Sabrina looks exhausted. You know what? You have a cardboard box that you can draw on. You don't just go draw on things that are not yours. Aurora stomps into the trailer. She comes back out, apologizing, holding a wet wipe. Oh, thank you for making Yay. such a good choice. Thank you. Aurora's getting some therapy to work through the fire trauma. Sabrina's not. She wants to. But there's so much on her plate. Repairs to the trailer and to her car. It was damaged as they fled paradise in the fire. Food is a huge issue for them. Her assistance checks only go so far, and the trailer's mini-fridge keeps freezing their vegetables. Sabrina knows the schedules of local food banks by heart. We meet up the next morning. Sabrina has a doctor's appointment. She goes monthly because she's been losing weight. She thinks it's from the stress. She also has to manage the mood stabilizers she started taking after the fire. Um, since the fire, it's just very hard to cope with life. The only provider she's been able to find is actually located up in paradise. And it's painful to go back. I want to cry. <laughs> It's really, really hard every time we come up. Please don't cry, Aurora pleads with her mom from the back seat. The two have very few moments apart from one another, so their grieving, their moods, all happen together. After Sabrina's appointment, we head to a lot where their house used to be. House is all to the right is gone. To the left, there's one house here. Sabrina had saved up to buy Aurora a climbing structure and trampoline that they kept in the side yard. And so right now we are going down the road. Oh my gosh, it's still there. What? Well, her trampoline and climber is still here. Aurora gets out of the car and runs over to them. Black soot comes off on her hand when she touches the climber. Embers singe the trampoline. I used to jump in this, and I used to have my little um, swing set thing here. And I used to have a lot of toys in my home. I want it back. Sabrina shakes her head. And I just, 
it's hard for me because I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do that for her again. You know, I was having, I had financial aid coming in before and, you know, I was able to do those little extra things for her. And now I don't have any of that, you know, we're living in this trailer. I mean, gosh, it's almost been a year. You would think that as time goes by, it would be easier, but it's not. We get back in the car. For Sabrina Haynes and other folks like her, experts say this kind of trauma can resurface old wounds. I don't want to be back in that place where I used drugs or did the cutting, but I would be lying to myself if those thoughts haven't arose in my head, you know? She says she doesn't think she'll hurt herself again like that because of Aurora. This past spring, when she really felt like cutting herself would bring some relief, she chose something different. She went online and looked for quotes that were meaningful to her. She found one by the author Robert M. Drake. And then she got it tattooed on her arm. Um, It says, in the end, she became more than what she expected. She became the journey. And like all journeys, she simply changed directions and kept going. When she looks at it, she says it has a lot of meaning. Life changes all the time, and we don't know necessarily where our journey is taking us, but it's okay. I was in one path, now I'm in a different path. And it's hard, and it's really hard right now. But I know that at the end, something good will come out of it. Just keep going, she tells herself. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. A year ago, when 13,000 households like Sabrina's were displaced from paradise and surrounding towns, there were only around 1,000 vacant units in Butte County to absorb them all. And rental prices there jumped more than 20 percent in the immediate aftermath of the fire. People lived in their cars, spare bedrooms, on couches. Well, I know that there's Tent City right here. So I've just been staying in my car. I'm living in a room in a, in a friend's home in, in Chico. KQED reporter Sonia Hudson introduces us to one family that managed to stay in paradise. That's because they figured out a living arrangement they never planned on. So that's my son and my oldest daughter and my youngest son. I only have two. That's her husband. It takes Lori Hornback a couple minutes wife, to introduce all her new there. roommates, ages 2 to 58. Okay, I guess I tuna. Lori is standing around the kitchen island with her husband, their two kids and their spouses, four grandchildren, and their daughter-in-law's mother. A couple of them are sitting on the ground next to the sink trying to fix a pipe. The rest are standing and sitting on bar stools eating dinner by the glow of electric lanterns. The day I visit, PG&E has shut off the power again to try to prevent another wildfire like the campfire. After living out of trailers for four months and each scouring the county for their own homes, the extended family decided to pool their money together to buy this big house on the outskirts of Paradise. Wait, I'm going to take you upstairs real quick. Yeah. Lori is so excited to take me on a tour. So this is my grandson's room. This is Mike and Brittany's room. Oops, sorry. Sorry. We walk on plush carpet past a big antique wooden (laughs) bed onto a huge deck. There's a loud generator humming in the background since the power's been shut off. The sunset is prettier than Hawaii's sunset. And you have a 360 view of the valley. 
The Hornbacks are happy to have a place to live, especially one with a view. But putting 11 family members under one roof has meant some big adjustments, says Lori and her husband, John. We were empty nesters, yeah. and now we're one huge family 24 hours. Yeah. Now they, yeah. they don't go home, they stay here. Yeah, nothing's really the same for us. They hardly ever watch TV anymore, for example. Everyone streams on their own devices, so they don't disturb or wake up other family members. And we've learned to app just about everything. That's meant some adjustments in John's morning routine. If you want to watch regular like news in the morning, I watch it on my phone most of the time in the morning because Oh, I could turn on the TV, but, you know, it's it's in a big room, so it's kind of loud and end up waking somebody up. When they're not trying to be quiet in the mornings, the Hordmacks are a loud family. Actually, I mean, there's at times you can't hear yourself think. Lori says they have a solution for that, too. Even though this house is only three bedrooms, they've converted the garage and a couple of other rooms into extra bedrooms. When it gets chaotic for one or the other, we... uh go to our perspective corners and put ourselves in timeout. <laughs> the setup seems to work for nine-year-old Aiden Richardson, John and Lori's grandson. This house is very nice and I love living in it. It's, it's my future home. Future? Future home. Future forever home. Yeah, forever home, yeah. <laughs> and what's it like living with uh, this many people and with your whole family? It's crazy. Why is it crazy? Because I've been used to only living with five, and I didn't have them in my house, but now I do, and it's like, whoa. (laughs) His mom, Brittany, she's John and Lori's daughter, says she and her husband looked for a house on their own, but it was especially hard to find places close to paradise. And I didn't want to be away from my family, and I wanted to go back home. But not everyone was sold on moving back to paradise, especially her mom, Lori. She was too traumatized from the day they escaped the fire and was worried about lingering toxins from the debris. We were running from flames and smoke. The morning the fire broke out, she caravanned with Brittany and her kids out of town, with flames closing in on them and propane tanks exploding everywhere. That's all we heard was propane tanks. I was picking my son up from elementary school and there was just these big embers. A lot of the Hornbacks are still struggling with trauma from the fire and living under the same roof is helping them deal with it. That's very visible on this Wednesday night as they sit around the kitchen table talking and something starts beeping. I wondered why our, um, we would have... Why is the fire alarm going off? Or smoke alarm? What? Smoke alarm's going off. Brittany and Kelly run upstairs to check. Turns out nothing is burning. They come back downstairs and tell everyone the alarms had gone off because smoke from their generator had come into the house through a window. (laughs) What happened? They're also freaked out because the power's out and the candles in one of the bathrooms are casting a big red glow on the walls. And so it was just a big trigger for me and my sister because, you know, the glows of fire is something that we don't like to look at. So when you see certain things you freak out. There are also other reminders. Two of Brittany's kids who were in the backseat of her car as she drove out of paradise to escape the fire have started regressing. Her daughter Mackenzie, who was one at the time, stopped crawling. You know, she wouldn't even do anything. She would just sit there and just cry. And her four-year-old daughter Marley, who used to be really talkative, pretty much stopped speaking. It doesn't feel good. It was really sad because they went backwards and that's not good. It's not a good sign. Marley's sitting on Brittany's lap, holding a doll they were able to rescue from the ruins of their house. Its plastic head was partially melted by the fire. That was the only thing that she had left of her home. 
And so it was, that's the only thing. We named him Ash after the fire, and he survived. <laughs> and they're grateful they all survived, too. Grandma Lori says when she first saw this place, she knew this was the house where living all together would work. And then I got in the foyer and I said, I'm home. I didn't have to look around, nothing. It just sounds weird, but it just fits. The fire changed everything for the Hornbacks, who, like many other white middle class families in paradise, never imagined they'd all live together. They were always close, but now John and Lori get to watch their grandkids grow up every day. For The California Report, I'm Sonia Hudson in Paradise. One of the lessons from that fire in Paradise and the Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa the year before was that officials have to issue evacuation orders more quickly. They need to have more fire crews on standby and alert people earlier about potential fire danger. Here's Sonoma County Supervisor James Gore. They need clear information, consistently updated, and it does not have to be perfect. What I learned during the uh, fires two years ago is that the only progress is imperfect, relentless progress. Part of that progress is figuring out how to reach out to non-English speakers in emergencies. In Sonoma County, for example, about a quarter of the population speaks a language other than English at home. One community radio station, KBBF in Santa Rosa, is a trusted place for Spanish speakers to get the latest emergency updates. And with the most recent Kincaid fire, the station did something a little bit different. They also made sure to broadcast updates in Mixteco and Triqui, indigenous languages spoken by some immigrants from Oaxaca. Reporter Marisol Medina Cadena spent some time at KBBF during the fires, talking with volunteers who've been interpreting and relaying information in Sonoma and Napa counties to their audiences. She reported the story for KQED's podcast, The Bay. Hi, Marisol. Hi, Sasha. So tell us, who is the audience for KBBF? Who's listening? Well, KBBF is a multilingual radio station. They historically were known for broadcasting in Spanish and English for the, over 40 years. What a lot of people might not know is that farm workers tune into KBBF on their lunch breaks or if they're working in factories. The host also told us that they get comments that people are tuning in from Oaxaca. So listening to KBBF, we heard that they were alternating from English to Spanish to Mixteco to Triqui, and they were talking about the Nixol alerts, how people were finding out about whether or not they had to evacuate. In English now, uh, we just wanted to remind people about Nixol. Uh, by now, most people know. So because their broadcast is in four languages, you know, it requires some patience to sit through each language. But that was something the radio host really stressed to us is that they don't want one language to dominate. So back in 2017, during the North Bay fires, a lot of the fire updates and announcements were often only coming in English. At the evacuation centers, there weren't often enough interpreters in Spanish. And there was a lot of fear in the communities about immigration agents being at these evacuation centers. A lot of people mistook the National Guard for 
immigration authorities. And it was the radio hosts and the radio announcers who really stepped up to tell the community, hey, no, it's not immigration at the shelters. You are safe to go there. So back during the Tubbs fire in 2017, they were only broadcasting in English and Spanish, right? So what made them decide to pivot this time around to broadcast in these indigenous languages? Julio Soriano, one of the many volunteers at KBBF, realized this critical need because there was a lot of people just not getting basic information. He told me about his mom, who during that fire had no idea what was going on. My mom couldn't find out whether a fire was 10 feet away or 100 feet away or 100 miles away. It's really hard to tell, uh, especially at night. So I realized that her not knowing this, basically she didn't know if she was going to die or like, or if it was just a, a drill. And I realized that not having the language um, that you need um, is basically a life or death situation. Julio also told me about a community member who, during this Kincaid fire, was evacuated by a police officer. We don't know if that police officer spoke Spanish, but even if he did, that wouldn't have mattered because this person only spoke triqui. The trauma, we all are going to experience trauma, and it's really hard to quantify who's more traumatized than another person, right? But it's important to recognize that there's extra trauma added when you don't know what's going on and you have a police officer at your house and they're telling you something you don't understand, right? So what do the radio announcers do when they hear stories like this to try to calm people's fears? They're going out to the evacuation centers to talk face-to-face with people. One of the radio announcers, her name is Maribel Merino, and she was wearing her traditional huipil when I met her. She was telling me how wearing that is really important when she's at these evacuation centers because it signals to other indigenous folks, I'm one of you, you can trust me. Maribel told me that she was really trying to help people sign up for Indocufun while she was visiting the evacuation centers. Indocufun is a crowdsourced pool of money specifically for undocumented immigrants who aren't going to be eligible for federal aid. It really became apparent to me that, you know, this radio station isn't just disseminating news. They are a sanctuary for this community. KQED's Marisol Medina Cadena, you can hear a longer version of her story on The Bay, a podcast from KQED. The California Report magazine is hosting a night of storytelling, music, and dance in an event that we're calling Dreaming the Golden State. Some of our listeners will be performing their letters to my California dreamer. And we've also got some of our favorite reporters like April Demboski, Pendarvis Harsha, and Vanessa Rancaño. Join us November 21st at the Brava Theater in San Francisco. We've got more information at kqed.org events. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. 
Our director is Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller. And we had additional engineering this week from Rob Spate. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our team also includes Asala Sanapur, Vinny Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, presenting Trade-Offs, a new podcast that tries to make sense of our costly and complicated healthcare system. Subscriptions at tradeoffs.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.